Hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. I hope you guys are uh, doing amazing, doing amazing today. And uh, good things are going your way. If not, God is using good or bad, whatever, for your, for your, uh, for his purposes in your life. You know, that's how God works. There's no rose garden uh, promised. Uh, giving your life to Jesus is not safe. And um, being a Christian on this earth, in this evil culture that we live with Satan, being the God of this age, doing kind of whatever he wants, we are not in friendly territory. We are, we are light in the midst of darkness. We are aliens and strangers here. Our home is in heaven. And it's good for us to be reminded of that like often so that we know that when things don't go the way we want them to go or things don't go right or good, and we're good people, and why not? Because we live in hostile territory. The enemy is having his way. He's having his way. We need this to happen. We need God to step in. We need God to be a part of everything that we are and all that we do and uh, not just a part of the community and the, the nation, because we need God there for sure, but we need God just to be a part of our life, okay? If, if the devil is, is in temporary control of the planet right now, the best we can sometimes hope for is that God will just be present in our life, giving us the peace, the courage, the strength, the fight, the, 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 the direction, the purpose, all the things that only God can bring into our life when he steps in, that's exactly what happens. He brings direction and peace and all those things into our life. In fact, when God steps into our life, miracles happen. They happen all the time. God is busy doing things behind the scenes and around the corner that we don't usually even see happening, but God is is setting the stage for whatever God is wanting to do next. Our job is to hold on to him, walk with him, be faithful to him, and let him do what he wants. We have seen God step into all of these circumstances and all of these people's lives in different situations. We ended with um, two, two weeks on the apostles and how God stepped into the life of those early disciples. And today, I want to talk about as the Bible continues to unfold as we move forward from the Gospels. And there's so many things we could talk about when God stepped into uh, the life of Jesus and Jesus walked on the earth. So much there. That's a whole nother series of God stepping in to our world through Jesus and all the different ways that Jesus did that. We, we're just going to kind of save that for another time. We're going to keep moving as the scriptures continue to unfold and we move into the book of Acts and the now the the apostles and what they're going to do next and how the Bible unfolds is what we want to um, move toward. And so we're going to meet this guy, Stephen. And again, we're not meeting everybody in every situation because there's some other things that happened in the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts earlier than this even. But we're going we're gonna to start with Stephen because he's a key figure in the book of Acts. What we're talking about when we talk about the book of Acts is we're talking about the word Acts meaning the Acts of the Apostles. That's what the book of Acts is about. The actions of the Apostles. Note, not the pews of the Apostles and not 
the thoughts or the quotes of the apostles and not even like good ideas and goals of the apostles. We are talking about the acts, which is short for the word action, the actions of the apostles. Now, if we didn't know anything else about the apostles, the title of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, would be enough for us to understand that the scripture and the church is about going into the world and doing. It's not about sitting and listening. Although we do need to sit and learn and grow and study and pray, those we, there are times that we need to sit and be still. But then there is more time that we need to go and do and be involved in the work of God on this earth. So Acts kicks off and Jesus, what happens in, in Acts chapter 1, as it begins in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends back to heaven to his father and he tells the apostles to go and stay and they're going to receive the gift that he had been talking about in the gospels. The Holy Spirit is going to come on them. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, and it's called the day of Pentecost, just like Jesus said, and they receive power, and they begin to heal, and they begin to do miracles, and all of this power and healing begins to take place. The apostles now are going to take center stage in the Bible. In the Gospels, it was Jesus and the 12 following Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now Jesus goes back to heaven. The Holy Spirit has come. And now the apostles are going to be the stars of the show, mostly Peter. And in a, a few chapters from now, we're going to learn Paul. Paul is going to be, those two are going to be key apostles and key star roles in the Acts of the Apostles. By the end of chapter 2 in the book of Acts, 3,000 people are going to be added to the church. So it's going to go from 12 and a handful of followers that are committed to Jesus, that are following and working and being with the apostles wherever they go, to now 3,000 people plus are going to be added to the church. In Acts chapter 6, there's a need that rises among this group of people, now thousands of people. That's a pretty big church, right? I mean, it went from 12 or maybe 20 to 3,000. And now there's a lot of new things that are going to happen. And what happens is a need arises and the Grecian Jewish or the Grecian Jews, yeah, the widows who are Grecian, they're being somehow overlooked in the daily uh, distribution of food, food. So somehow they've got a ministry going on already. They're taking care of their widows. They're taking care of people in need. They're bringing food to these people and to those people. Well, there's a group of people who said, hey, what about us? You guys, you, you're forgetting us. We're not, getting any, we're not getting any help here. We need some help. And so what happens is in Acts chapter two, the 12 gather the disciples together. So it's the 12 and a group of other people. And uh, they say it would not be right for us as apostles to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So this kind of serving of the widows is considered in the scripture, waiting on tables or serving, just serving people, physical needs in the community. Okay. Uh, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be 
full of the spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so what we have here is the apostles leading the charge. This need is identified, it arises. People are like, hey, what about us? They're like, hey, yeah, we need to take care of these people. And so what we, what, one of the things we gotta remember is that everything that's going to begin to happen at this point is gonna be new. This church is brand spanking new. It is just getting off the ground. It is just being birthed. And there's gonna be a lot of needs that are gonna arise that the apostles are gonna to have to deal with. They're gonna to have to appoint people to take care of the needs. And this is one of those, one of those needs that's gonna arise. Now the church, the church at this point, as it's just beginning to sail, is more like a ship out to sea than it is a building stuck in one place. So think about it like that. This church is a mobile church. There is no church building. There's no place that they're saying, hey, we're gonna go meet here and we're, this is where we're gonna come every week and be. That, there's none of that yet. This is a church of just people that meet together wherever they can, however they can, and they just take care of each other and their mission is to grow the church, to grow the kingdom, not build a building. And so they're very mobile. The apostles, they understand that their role is prayer and the ministry of the word. That's their job as leadership. They're gonna spend time praying, seeking God's direction, and they're gonna spend time teaching the word of God. That is their role. And so the church comes up with seven men uh, to meet this need of this, apparently a large group of, of Grecian uh, widows that are being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And these men, seven men who are going to be full of faith, full of the spirit, full of wisdom, um, and, and that's who they're going to look for when they select these seven men. Not anybody is going to be qualified to do this work. This is a leadership role in the church. It isn't making spiritual decisions, but it is carrying on ministry to people in need. And for that very purpose, they want it to be people or men who are upstanding and are faithful and full of wisdom and will do things correctly the way God would want them done. And I hope, I hope that that would be you. I hope that would be us, that we would be among those that the, the rest of the people would say, hey, what about this guy? Not because he's popular, not because he has fancy things or wears fancy clothes, but because he is a person of God, full of faith, full of wisdom, and full of the Spirit of God, and that people can see that kind of oozing out of us, and that we would be, I hope, I hope we would be uh, some of those people that would be chosen. So here, here's what happens. This proposal pleased the whole group, and so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. So, so they've got these seven guys that they have now chosen, and they have uh, they're going to present them to the apostles. They're going to bring them to the apostles, and verse six. They present them to the, these men to the apostles. And so the apostles are now going to pray over them and lay their hands on them as a sign of 
of putting their stamp of approval on this group of men that the church has chosen that now they're going to send into leadership and do uh, some ministry type things for people in the body of Christ. That is pretty, pretty cool. And then the result, in verse 7, we see the result of this expansion of leadership. Okay, check it out. So the word of God, verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So right away from this next move that God is going to do through the apostles as they begin to appoint other people now to take on leadership roles, these seven, the result of that is more people are going to be involved in the leadership responsibilities and the result of that is going to be more growth. The word of God spreads, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increases rapidly. So just think about that in your church. Wherever you worship, wherever you go, when one person is added to a leadership role in your church, the church is going to be blessed. The church is going to grow. The word is going to get spread even more. And more people are going to come to know Jesus. The more people are involved in the leadership role of the church. That's really important part about this seven. Well, the action now turns from the seven to one man. And his name is Stephen. It turns to this one guy of the seven. His name is Stephen. And uh, what we're going to see here is uh, what Stephen is about. A little closer a picture of Stephen. And, and as we think about Stephen today, think about you. Think about how we can be more like this one guy. There's seven guys, and of the seven, we're going to hear a lot about this one. And there's a reason for it. It's because he stands out. He stands out as a godly man, as a godly person. And he is going to be used by God. It's almost as if God says, give me seven guys and I'm going to begin to use them in powerful ways. If they will embrace leadership in the church, if they will embrace their calling of God in this world, God is going to use them in a powerful, powerful way. Now, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. He is a powerful guy, this Stephen. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it is called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province, provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But, verse 10, they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And so Stephen has this great wisdom that is, that is coming from the Spirit of God that is living in him. And so here's what we notice right away about Stephen. He's full of grace. He's full of power. He's doing miraculous wonders and signs among the people. He's doing great things. And you would think everything would be wonderful, right? But it isn't because the next thing that happens is this word in verse 9, opposition arises. People come up against him. He's a good man. 
He's healing people. He's helping people. He's full of the grace of God. He's full of the wisdom of God. What could be wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. Evil doesn't like that. Satan does not like that. People who are bent on corruption in the world around us, they don't like anyone to stand up for any kind of standards or truths. They are going to oppose you because the minute you say that there is a bar that we should be living up to, they don't want that. They want there to be no bar, no standard, no God, no morals, no truth. We could just all do whatever we want. And who are you to tell me what I'm supposed to do? See, this is the problem with the world today. And this is the problem with our country right now. We want to defund everything that might be helpful, and we want to get rid of anything that might stand for some kind of truth, whether it's in our communities or in our courthouses or in our politics or in our schools. We want to eliminate, we want to eliminate morality. And so the devil is bent on that. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. But here we are in Acts. And opposition arises against this godly, godly man. And the opposition is coming from religious people. And we got to think about this for a minute because that didn't take long, did it? I mean, this church, this church is just getting started. We're in Acts, the early part of the book of Acts. The church has just been birthed. I mean, it's only like maybe weeks old, maybe months old. I don't know, maybe a year or two old. We don't even know how old it is. But it can't be that old. It's just getting rolling. And all of a sudden, out of the good things that are happening, opposition is going to rise. And, and it reminds us that they, they persecuted Jesus. And Jesus promised us that if they persecuted him, that they will persecute us as well. So when we stand up for truth, when we stand up for what's right, you are going to be opposed. People are not going to want to hear your God talk. They're not going to want to hear from the word of God or from a source called the truth. They don't want to hear it. The problem is they had one big problem and their big problem was that in their small mindedness, in their inability of intelligence, they could not stand, they could not stand up against Stephen, his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So what do you do when you can't stand up against the truth? When the truth is in your face and you don't want to hear it, what do you do? Well, you do what most politicians do. You lie. You begin to make up stuff. You begin to divert the attention over there so nobody will look at the mess that you have created over there. And that's exactly what's going on in our world right now. It's exactly what was going on with Stephen. They begin to lie. They secretly persuade some men to lie with them. And they stir up the people with their lies. And they seize Stephen and they produce more false witnesses. They produce more false stories, more lies, more accusations, and more evil is being spewed from their mouth. And just when it seemed like things were getting out of hand, God is going to step in. Look at verse 15. I'm sorry. 
Back to verse 11. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So this is their accusation. Stephen apparently has said things against Moses and Stephen has said things against God. That's the lies that they're telling. So they stir up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they see Stephen. They brought him before the Sanhedrin. So these are the religious people that are attacking Stephen. Verse 13, they produce false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Well, Stephen has said nothing wrong. He has done nothing that they are accusing him of. Although this part of it, Jesus did say, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. He was referring to his own, his own body, but he also talked about the destruction of the temple and the destruction of the old way of order. And so in verse 15, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin now, Stephen's there before him, and they are now looking intently at Stephen and they see Stephen, remember he's surrounded by a lot of evil and hate. And what they see in Stephen is his face was like the face of, of an angel. Stephen's standing there and he begins to glow with this, this glow that they know is not normal. This is not, this is not everyday glow. This is supernatural, angelic kind of glow. And they see this and they are stopped in their tracks because remember, they are accusing Stephen of some some things that they want to do away with Stephen. Remember, they did the same thing to Jesus. That's what evil people do. They make up lies to try to get rid of those who are standing for truth and for standing for something good. They want to get rid of it. They can't stand it. It hurts their ears. No doubt at this moment that Stephen would have liked God to step in a bit sooner because Stephen's now in over his head, right? He's, he's in up to his neck. Maybe Stephen would have liked for God to maybe send a few bolts down, maybe some fire and brimstone to just kind of like eliminate these people because they're so corrupt and so evil. But what, what's about to happen is, is, is miraculous. Stephen, in the book of Acts chapter 7, is going to have his moment now. He's in front of all these Sanhedrin, religious, evil people. And there he is, a child of God, representing the truth of God. And he has his moment in time where he is going to speak the word of God. And this is amazing. In Acts chapter 7, throughout the book of, of, of or the letter, that chapter of 7, Stephen is going to lay out all of the Old Testament history. Remember, these guys are supposed to be experts in the Old Testament. They know Abraham, they know Moses, they know the pro they know all of this and they're accusing Stephen of speaking against all of that. And so Stephen now is going to speak about Abraham, he's going to speak about Jacob and Joseph, he's going to speak about Egypt, he's going to speak about Pharaoh, he's going to speak about the life of Moses. From the birth of Moses in the basket in Nile, in the Nile River, and how he is raised in the palace with the uh, Pharaoh, and how at age 40 he murders an Egyptian for uh, mistreating one of the Hebrew, his Hebrew brothers, 
and then how he uh, Moses is going to go on the run, and 40 years later, he's going to hear from God in a burning bush near Sinai. He's going to deliver the people from slavery. Moses is going to, is going to, um, to the disbelief of 40 years, they're going to wander in the wilderness because of Israelites' disbelief. He's going to receive the Ten Commandments. He's, he's going to talk about the tabernacle in the desert. And he's going to talk about how Solomon was the one who built the house for God. So Stephen, very wisely, is going to give these religious people exactly a history lesson on what they should already know. And he's not going to get anything out of order. And this is an amazing chapter in the New Testament in the book of Acts. Because what it does is it confirms all of the Old Testament history that we have up to this point. So if we have any doubts, like, did this happen? Was, did this really, is this Moses is really how it happened? Stephen, thousands of years later, is going to refer back to it just as it all happened, just like you and I know it, we just studied uh, some of these things, the, the life of Moses not long ago, and we talked about the 40 years, the 40 years, and the 40. And so all those things Stephen is going to confirm and put a stamp on as they are accurate and true, and this is exactly how it happened, and he's going to get nothing wrong. There's going to be no deceit in Stephen's uh, words. He's going to lay it out exactly the way it happened. And they are without excuse. They cannot, like, fault Stephen for any of this. Well, here's what happens. Um, he gives them all of this amazing truth from the Old Testament. And then he comes to the end of this, and he says this in verse 48. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophets say, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. So our church buildings are not where God lives. The place that we worship in is an auditorium, not a sanctuary. It is an auditorium. It's just a building. It's just a room. You and I, the Most High, does not live in houses made by human hands. He dwells in his people. So if God is dwelling in you and me, we then are the sanctuary of his Holy Spirit lives in us, not in a building, not in a room. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? What kind of life are you going to build for him? Says the Lord, or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You, and now he's going to point at them. Remember, he's, he's shared this, this, this long speech with them. Acts 7, he went over all the history. He says, God doesn't live in a building anymore. And he says, you, all of you. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, Jesus. You have received, you, you who have received from the law what was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. And so he, he, he points right at them and he reveals their evil. He reveals their wickedness. And he's, he's attempting, talk about draining the swamp. Stephen is trying to drain the religious swamp of all these religious leaders and their corruption. He's one man trying to point it all out and they're not going to like it. When they heard this, they are not happy 
campers. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, he sees this. He looks up and he sees this in their midst. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. And they all rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city. And they began to stone him. They began to stone him. They're not happy. They are not happy with the truth. They are not happy at being pointed out as being uh, of corrupt of the corruptors of the truth. They don't want what God has for them. They don't, they don't even want to acknowledge how God has brought it all about and how he brought his son onto this earth because they blew it on him. They crucified him. And now they want to stamp out anyone who has anything to say about Jesus. And at this moment, it's Stephen. And they are blinded by their own evil desires. Right? Their own agendas have blinded them to the very truth. They don't care about the truth. They have lost their way, and now they want to impose their way on everyone else. This is, this is exactly what is going on right now, right here in Stephen. And I gotta say, this is exactly what is going on in our nation right now. Check this out. So here's what happened. Acts chapter 7, verse 58b. Meanwhile, meanwhile, remember, Stephen now is dragged out. He's being stoned. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. We're going to get into him later on. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That's pretty powerful, right? This man, Stephen, he's being stoned to death by these evil, corrupt people, and he cries out to God, do not hold this sin against them. Just like Jesus, right? Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Another thing that, that I just want to point out is this. He says he fell asleep. That's a nice way of saying he did. He did. He gone. He's not there no more. He is dead as a doorknob. But here's the thing. Death in Jesus is never final. Death in Jesus is not permanent. And so it's as if he just went to sleep. See, in God's eyes, if you're in Christ, when you die, you just go to sleep because it isn't permanent. It isn't final. You just go to sleep. He's going to wake up. Stephen is going to wake up again in heaven. He just went to sleep, left this earth, and he's going to wake up in heaven. So here's the thing. Up to this point, up to this point, oh, let me read, let me read verses uh, 1 to 3 of the next chapter. On that day, a great persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem. Remember, it's just getting going. All, the, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. He's dead. And they mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. And so 
This growth of the church, this beginning to ignite on fire thousands of people coming to know Jesus from the day of Pentecost, Acts 2, and the, the preaching, to the miracles and the signs and the growing and the expanding of the church and people being added to it. And now the chosen choosing of these seven and Stephen's boldness and, and his courage. And the church is going to spread even in the midst of persecution. In fact, it's persecution that is going to spread the fire. It's like, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It isn't going to put it out. It's just going to spread it even more. Or like blowing on, like when the, when, when the hills are on fire and the wind blows, it just doesn't blow the fire out. It just makes the fire grow bigger and move faster. And that is exactly what's going to happen to the church as opposition arises and persecution comes up against it. So up to this moment, up to this moment in our sermon series, when God stepped in, great things happen more than not. Good things happen, right? At least for the most part, Abraham and Moses and the prophets and the apostles, miracles, healing, smelly, smelly men, lots of fish, parting of seas, really incredible things were happening. But we've got to be warned because when God steps in, even though it, it may appear or feel like this is a great thing that God has stepped in, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Be, we we got to be warned that God stepping in could get you stoned. And not in the Colorado way or a hippie way. Okay? It could get you dead. God stepping into your situation could mean the use of you and the end of you. It could mean that. It's not safe to follow Jesus. It's not as safe as most people want to make it out to be. If you, if you listen to most of our worship today, it doesn't warn you about the dangers of following Jesus. And I got to tell you, following Jesus in an evil culture is a dangerous thing. Taking up your cross and following Jesus is not a safe thing to do. Darkness hates the light and lies and deceit and evil hates the truth. And when you speak the truth, you are going to be attacked at some point. Taking up a, that the cross is, is an object of cruelty and, and, and hate and execution. It is not a good thing. Taking up your cross to follow Jesus, when Jesus said, come follow me, take up your cross and follow me, he's not talking about comfort. He's not talking about an easy life. It's a dangerous life. And yet, here's the thing, it's a dangerous life and yet millions of people jump on board. Millions of people go for it. Why? Because like Peter said in the New Testament, to whom else shall we go? Jesus is the son of God. He is the words of life. He has the words of eternal life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to get to heaven except through Jesus. And so we gladly, we will gladly trade in our years on this earth of, of opposition and maybe uh, discomfort for our hope of eternity in glory and in heaven. We have counted the cost. 
We have waited out. And life right now, as though as big as it may seem, is nothing compared to heaven and eternal life and eternity. Our 80 years on this earth is nothing compared to eternity. And so while most people will put life on this earth way ahead of their eternity, they won't even think about it, they'll ignore it. They don't even want to think, uh, talk about it. And they want to live in the here and the now. You and I, we have come to realize that eternity is far greater and far longer and far more important and far more valuable than anything or everything of this world. That's why we're willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Along with the wonderful promises of Jesus that, that we all like to talk about, the promise of patience and his peace and his presence in our life and so many things that God does promise us that are wonderful and good, there are promises of persecution, mistreatment, imprisonment, and being falsely accused as well. Not to mention, or at least to briefly mention, the examples of many people that we read about last week in Hebrews 11 that were burned at the stake, sawed in two, boiled to death, and much worse. Hebrews 11, we talked about that last week. So we know that when you give your life to Jesus, it is a dangerous thing. Following Jesus is a death sentence. It's a death sentence. You say, I want to follow Jesus. You are signing on for a death sentence. You are saying, I will crucify myself. I die to myself. I'm going to live to him. So already it's a death sentence. But more so than that, God turns your death sentence into a life sentence with him in glory in heaven forever. When you die to yourself and you are raised with Christ and you deny this world and everything in it and you say, I want God more than I want this life, you are signing on for a life sentence. And that's a good thing. Stephen, Stephen is just an ordinary guy like you and me. And he, he, he exists for two chapters in the, in the book of Acts. Two chapters. Now, sometimes two chapters in the Bible is hundreds of years. But in his case, two chapters is probably only a few days, maybe a week or two at the most. He comes on the scene with one of the, the, one of the seven, and the next thing we know, he's before the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders, and he shares the whole Old Testament truth, and then he is stoned to death. He is like here and gone in the matter of minutes. He comes on the scene as a servant, one of the seven, waiting on tables just to take care of the Grecian widows who are not getting their food. That's how we meet him. He's full of wisdom. He's full of the spirit of God. He demonstrates courage and knowledge of the word of God. He understands. He speaks the truth to a corrupt leadership. He is fearless in the face of death. He is shining with the glory of God and his angels. He comes on the scene for a brief moment and then he is snuffed out and gone. His purpose is served. His entire life for this moment in time and history, Stephen. His service to God is discovered quickly and it ends fast. 
Life, his life is used for the glory of God in great ways. His impact would empower the church and ignite the world. The fuel of his death would ignite the believers throughout the world. His mission accomplished, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what Stephen heard. Why? Why? Because, because for Stephen, God stepped in and Stephen went all in with Jesus. He was all in to the very point of death. Stephen was all in with God. Oh, to be like this guy, right? Just another person in a long list of people that we have studied who are exactly what we want to be. They are role models. They are heroes. Our athletes in this world are not our heroes. They are nothing. They are, they are stuck on self and, and they're stuck on riches and they're stuck in this world. They are not the heroes that young people should be looking up to. The kind of heroes that we should be looking up to are men like this guy, Stephen, who, who would be willing to stand up for the truth even if it meant death. That's, a, that's an amazing hero. That's the kind of hero that we should want to follow, that we should want to be like. And you know what? There are a lot of people like Stephen living today. A lot of people in our very day that are like Stephen. They are servants of the Most High God. They desire to see the kingdom of God advance. And that, that desire and passion is evident. We have missionaries all over our world that are giving up their lives selling out for Jesus in rough places where their, their lives are being, uh, are being uh, opposed, their truth is opposed, and they're, they're, they're fearful for their, their even lives. And yet they go to these third world countries and these dark places to bring the good news of Jesus to the world. Today, they are there doing these things right now while you and I are in the comfort of the United States. There are people, modern day people, who are a lot like Stephen. And that's amazing. One of those is a man by the name of Jay McLaughlin. Jay was a missionary to Africa. He came to know Jesus later in his life, but he was a missionary to Africa for 15 years. And Jay, I asked Jay if he would share with us a, a brief testimony about how God came into his life when he first stepped in and how what that looked like and how God changed his direction from the get-go. Jay and Sonny, uh, a worship with us here at Burlington Christian Church, Jay has written a book called Taking the Mystery Out of Missions. It's all about his stories in Africa and how God stepped in many, many, many times and did incredible things. And he could talk for hours about the ways that God stepped into his life. But I asked Jay if he would just share when God first stepped in, that testimony of how God grabbed hold of his life and what that looked like. So God bless you guys. Have a great week. Listen to Jay's testimony. It's only a few minutes long and be blessed. See you next week. Hi, I'm Jay. And this is a partial personal testimony of when God stepped into my life. Let's begin with like this. Life can be a blessing or it can become a total disastrous mess. All due to how well we go about making all our decisions. 
Everyone can make errors at times and needs to get things corrected so you don't lose your standing with others and lose them as your friends. I found out that I was making more bad ones than good ones and my life was totally falling apart in ways that were affecting all those who were a part of my life daily. I went through two divorces which sadly caused my first wife and my three daughters to suffer greatly, all due to my out-of-control self-centeredness. But the fact is, if I had actually taken the time and truly investigated those decisions with every very much care about how they might affect others, the less problems I might have had to deal with. When any of us make far too many bad decisions, we seem to turn our whole world upside down and end up suffering deeply and lose many friends along the way, and possibly even having to face being killed or imprisoned by how bad and evil we had actually became, and I was a very evil man for 43 years. But without knowing, God was already working on me to get me before his throne. I was trying with all my messed up efforts to change, but was not gaining very much improvement at all. Then God placed a very special lady in my life named Sonny, who sadly was going through pretty much of what I had made my first wife go through. And for some reason, God led me to step in and help her get through all her pain and suffering. This was surely something that was totally new to me, being the evil man that I was. Nowhere, no how, here is where God actually stepped in and turned my life around. I did, it didn't take long, and Sonny and I truly fell in love and soon got married. Then her sweet mother came into the picture, and I wonder by who, by getting us both into church and into an honest born-again relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We grew strongly and quickly as Christians. We studied hard and highly applied it to our lives. Then after four years went by, we became missionaries to Kenya and Uganda and East Africa. And from about 1984 to 2003, 19 years. What was mind-blowing and amazing to me is that I went from destroying many, many people's lives to actually saving an abundance of people by putting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you can do this as well if you actually let Christ lead you 
through all your storms that need to change in your life. And when God enters in, things begin to change. Amen.